in the book of Acts. And so if you've got uh, a Bible with you, you can turn to Acts chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, you can use the red ones nearby. And if you are using the red ones, is on page 530. Now, as you're turning there, let me ask you a question. What drives you? Like, what, what motivates you? What gets you up in the morning? Well, on, on Friday night, the Ohio State Buckeyes, uh, they accomplished a mission. You see, for just about a year, every single day, the Ohio State football team walked into their practice room and up on a monitor every day as they were training, they saw before them the score of last year's football game where they lost to the Clemson Tigers. 29 to 23, that score was in front of them every single day as they were lifting weights and running on the treadmill and pushing themselves to the limit. They were on a mission to take revenge. It is what drove them Every day when they were tired and exhausted, they said, no, this is my mission. We are going to beat Clemson. And they succeeded. They won. They finished their mission on Friday night. They had a mission and it drove them. What drives you? What motivates you? What gets you up out of bed every day? As we look at the book of Acts, we are going to see a mission unfold. The book of Acts lays out for us the journey, the story of the launch of the church. This mission, this movement that started with 12 followers of Jesus. It grew to 72 in the gospel of Luke. And then here at the beginning of Acts, maybe about 100 or so. And that was over three years. But then... In just a few short weeks, it grows to thousands. And then in a few years, it spreads across the Roman Empire. And within a couple hundred years, it threatened to bring down the Roman Empire. That movement has taken across the whole globe. And we worship here this morning as a direct result of people stepping into the mission, carrying on the mission. They were driven. So as we go through the book of Acts, that is our question. Are you on the mission? Are you driven for that mission? And right off the bat, in chapter one this morning, we're going to see that Jesus helps us out. First, he is going to clarify the mission. Then he's going to show us the power for the mission. And alas, he is going to show us how he sustains the mission. So first, he clarifies the mission. Second, he empowers the mission. And third, he sustains the mission. Let us read Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. This is the gospel writer Luke writing part two of his story. He begins like this. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, 
appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes, and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who is taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this living word that empowers us through your spirit, that pulls us into your great mission. We ask, Father, that you would speak to us and lead us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. It always brings me comfort reading stories like this one, where the disciples who have been with Jesus for three years, sleeping next to him, traveling next to him, eating next to him, talking with him constantly. It brings me comfort when I know that they still don't get it. It brings me comfort because I know that now being a disciple means that it's, there's a process. There's always more to grow in. There's always more to learn about. It's a process following Jesus, and that is what is going on here. The disciples come to Jesus, and they are confused about what is happening. They don't yet fully understand what God is doing to them and through them in the world. They, yet, they are yet to fully understand what the mission is that Jesus is about. And so that's why it is such great comfort for us, because here Jesus clarifies what the mission is. If I ask everyone in this room why Jesus came into the world, I'm sure that nine out of ten people here would say something along the lines of, Jesus came into the world to die for us. Yes, absolutely he did. But that is only part of what Jesus was sent into the world to accomplish. Yes, he did die for us, but if you look at the ministry of Jesus, if you look at his public teachings, he never actually publicly says, I came to die for you. Now, to his disciples, he does talk about his suffering and his death and his resurrection, but his public ministry, what he tells people why he came, he doesn't actually say, I came to die. What does he say? Well, look at Matthew chapter 4. Right when Jesus begins his ministry, he comes out and says, Repent, believe in the gospel, because the kingdom of God is at hand. And even in Luke's gospel, we hear Jesus say, 
He has to go now to the other towns, the other villages, to preach to them the kingdom of God. And it is for this that I was sent. The mission of Jesus was to proclaim and to establish the kingdom of God. Do you know what the kingdom of God is? Well, the disciples were confused too. But this was Jesus' mission. Look here in Acts chapter 1, verse 3. It says, He presented himself alive to them after his sufferings by many proofs, appearing to them for 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. This was so central to the mission of Jesus that the very last thing that Jesus speaks to his disciples is about is the kingdom of God. Do you know what the kingdom of God is? The disciples were confused, and so they asked, Lord, will you now restore to Israel the kingdom? Now, what the disciples thought the kingdom of God was was this, this national movement, this restoration project that would see the people of God, Israel, the nation of Israel, restored to their glory days back when King David sat on the throne. No longer would the Roman Empire occupy them. No longer would pagan influences, atheistic influences come into the mix. No, the nation of Israel would again be restored. That is what their hope was. But they were misguided. When Jesus comes to establish the kingdom, he is not establishing a political movement. He did not come to establish a nation state. And I could speak for quite a bit about this trend in Christianity today, especially in the West, to try to recapture some sense of the glory days of Christendom. Jesus did not come to establish an earthly kingdom, but a spiritual kingdom. Now, before you think that that means that we just sit idly by and wait until we go to heaven, that's, that's not it. Jesus broke into the physical world, bringing heaven down to earth. The kingdom of God is real. It is spiritual, but it is real. When Jesus brought healings and miracles and spoke truth into the void, he was establishing the kingdom of God. Jesus came to bring light into darkness, to bring the kingdom to bear on the broken parts of the world. That was his mission. He came to reconcile everything in creation to himself. We talked about that last week. He came to bring restoration to everything that is broken and wrong. In other words, he came to take the wrong things and make them right. He came to bring healing our brokenness that was the mission of jesus yes he needed to die in order to accomplish that because it is by his death on the cross that he unites everything back to the father but his mission was to bring total healing and restoration to this world he moved towards the darkness to bring light he moved towards the hurting to bring healing he moved towards the outcast to bring them in. That was Jesus' mission, and that is what 
our mission is now in him. I've mentioned before that Sarah and I love to watch The Crown. It's one of our favorite shows. And uh, this last season focused on uh, Princess Diana, how she came into the family. And there's one episode in which Princess Diana is, is traveling in the U.S. by herself. And she's visiting different locations. And she goes to this, uh, this hospital that's especially treating children and infants who are suffering through HIV and AIDS. These children, the hospital lady says, are abandoned. They've been left there because their parents are either too sick to care for them or have abandoned them and have fallen into addiction. And Princess Diana asks, what are they, what's going to happen? She says, no one wants them. This is the stigma of the disease, fear of getting the disease. And immediately Princess Diana takes off her glove and picks up one of these children and hugs her. And the cameras are flashing and they're documenting this great act of mercy so that the whole world can see that someone loves these children. When Princess Diana passed away at her funeral, Sir Elton John sang his song, Candle in the Wind, for her. And he rewrote some of the lyrics, especially for the occasion. And this is one of those lyrics. He says, you were the grace that placed itself where lives were torn apart. You are the grace that has placed itself where lives are torn apart. That, friends, was the mission of Jesus. He placed himself where lives are torn apart to bear to them the kingdom of grace. We are going to join the mission of God. If we are going to take up our role in what is unfolding before us, we need to know what the mission is. It is to move towards our neighbor's lives who are broken, who are hurting, who are suffering, and be grace for them. A few weeks ago, we took up an offering, and we, we collected money and bought food and meals and, and material needs and clothes and toys for a family right here in Mayfield Heights who are hurting this year. And that was beautiful. Thank you for helping us do that. But now as we start 2021, what is next for us? Where, where is God sending you into the darkness to bring light? Where is God going to send you, your family, this church? Last year, I spoke with the superintendent of the school district here, and he told me that the three biggest problems facing the community, you might be able to guess it. It's pretty common here on the east side of Cleveland, I think. First is racial division that divides families and communities. The second is substance abuse. Alcohol and drugs are ripping people apart. And the third, mental health issues, loneliness, depression, bullying. I mean, I thought bullying was just in high school, but I'm on those Mayfield Facebook pages. No. Your neighbors are both the victims of and the culprits of the brokenness around us. We are part of that too. But Jesus has sent us on mission to place ourselves where lives are being torn apart so that they can experience grace.
That's the kingdom of God. That's the mission of Jesus. He clarifies it for his disciples so that we know what we are supposed to do. But unless we know how to do it, we're going to be lost. And so that's why we're thankful that Jesus not only clarifies the mission, but he also empowers the mission. We need to know what the power is so that we can accomplish this mission. And Jesus says it's this, it's the Holy Spirit. Look with me at verse four. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Have you ever started a project and not prepared enough for it? I, I think I've mentioned this story. I tried to build some bookshelves for my office last year. And uh, if you've seen them, they're, they're pretty rough. Uh, but I bought the wood before I sort of laid out my plans. I bought the wood before I knew what tools I needed to have or how I was going to fit it all together. And so for weeks, they sat in my garage unused. I, I didn't know what I was going to do with them. I, I knew when I wanted a bookshelf, so I bought the wood, but I didn't prepare. In fact, the garage actually flooded and got, like, the bottoms of the wood all wet, so I had to change my plans halfway through. It was a disaster. I mean, these things are barely held together. I failed to prepare for the project in front of me. Have you ever failed to prepare for a project? Ben Franklin says that if you fail to prepare, then you are preparing to fail. So Jesus gives us the power. He shows us, here's what you need in order to succeed. Jesus knows that they need to be empowered for this mission. Otherwise, they are not going to succeed on their own. They need the Holy Spirit. And so he says, stay put, don't leave, Stay here until you are empowered with the Holy Spirit. What does the Holy Spirit do? Why do we need the Holy Spirit? Jesus tells us that when the Spirit comes, he will remind us of truth. When the Spirit comes, he will fill us up with the very truth, the word of God. He will tell us what we need to know and will tell us what we need to say. And we need this for the mission so that when we go to our neighbors, when we engage with our friends, that we will know what they need to hear. So when a neighbor is hurting, the Spirit of God gives you words of comfort. When your neighbors are in crisis, the Spirit will direct you to how to love them and speak words of hope. When there is a lack of joy in your neighbor's life, the Spirit will show you the words of truth that will bring joy. We need the Spirit because the Spirit will remind us of truth. But we also need the Spirit for a second reason. This is the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus himself. And so when we have the Spirit of Jesus, we have Jesus. And we need Jesus in order to accomplish this mission. Look at what Jesus says in verse 8. Jesus says that we will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon us, and then we will be his witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, 
into the end of the earth. Because it is the spirit of Jesus that empowers us, we bring Jesus with us wherever we go. In his earthly ministry, the presence of Jesus in some way was limited to the physical location of Jesus on earth. He was one place. But when he left and sent his spirit, now Jesus can go all over the earth in us, through us. This is what Jesus means in the Gospel of John when he says that it is better for me to leave you because when I leave you, I will send my helper, the Spirit, to be with you. It is better now for us to have the Spirit of Jesus with us because now we take him wherever we go so that we can testify about who he is, so that we can witness to what he has done for us and for them. That word, witness, is the Greek word martyr. You've probably heard the word martyr used in regards to someone who has given up their life in defense of their faith, often in lands of great oppression and persecution of Christians. But before that, the word martyr, it's a legal word. It's a word that's used in the courts. It's someone who goes before the judge who's on trial and testifies to the truth. And Jesus says, you will testify to the truth of who I am. I think that we often think that the work of evangelism is relegated to specific church leaders and missionaries and evangelists who have that proper training and equipping to go into the world, share the gospel. But no, Scripture is very clear. Every single Christian is called to testify about their faith. This is why the scriptures say, be ready to answer people's questions about the hope that we have in Jesus. We are always on trial for our faith. Every day we go about this life witnessing through our words and our actions about the grace and the hope that we have in Jesus. One author has put it this way. He said this, we are always on trial for Christ. Our faith is always on trial in our homes, before our children and spouses, in our schools and our colleges, before our teachers, students, and friends, and our classmates, in our workplaces, before our colleagues, bosses, and employees, and customers, when we are playing or when we're relaxing, whatever we are engaged in, wherever we find ourselves, we are put there by God for the defense of the gospel. Friends, we are empowered by the Spirit to be his witnesses. And the good news is that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved and have the Spirit of God poured out on them. This isn't, this isn't stage two Christianity. Every Christian has the power of the Spirit within them. The question you have to ask yourself is, are you tapping into that power? Are you allowing him to speak truth to you? 
Are you allowing him to guide you in your conversations? Are you allowing him to prepare you always to be ready to give a defense for our faith? That's what the Spirit does. It empowers us for the mission. And so we've seen that Jesus clarifies to us what the mission is. He has shown us where the power comes from for us to accomplish it. And finally, in this passage, we see that Jesus sustains the mission for us. Look with me at verse 9. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is known as the ascension of Jesus. When Jesus rises up and goes into heaven. And we often think of heaven as someplace up there. Yes, he ascended. But I think the better way to understand that word ascension is not physically moving up. But here comes another crown reference. When the queen dies, her son, Prince Charles, will ascend to the throne. And then when he dies, Prince William will ascend to the throne. And then when he dies, little Prince George is going to ascend to the throne. When Jesus rises up into heaven, he is not merely going up. He is ascending to the throne where he now sits at the right hand of God on high, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He rules and reigns above it all. But he does not sit there idly. No. He has a job to do, and he is doing it every single day. The scriptures tell us that he is our advocate. He is our intercessor. He is always living to intercede for you and me before the Father. And this is such good news, because in order for us to accomplish this mission, we need him to sustain us. Look, as we go out into the world and proclaim the message of the kingdom of God, we are going to face opposition, both from without the church and from within our own hearts. Look, when we engage our neighbors who are not yet Christian, their worldview is opposed to the worldview of the kingdom of God. And by definition, there will be a challenge for them we talked about this in our Representing Jesus workshop, that when we share the gospel, it is a different worldview, and it brings opposition and necessarily brings a challenge. And some people will fight against it. They will call us narrow-minded. They will call us bigots. They will call us hypocrites. They will reject us. And when we feel rejected by the world, you have to remember that Jesus is standing before the Father and saying, yes, the world has rejected him, but he is mine, and I accept him always and forever. 
The only way we are going to get back up and get back to the mission is if we know that Jesus has our back. Always. We are going to face opposition from outside of the church. But we will also face it in our own heart. As we go about this mission, we are going to sin. It is an inevitable part of living in this fallen world. And our enemy, the greatest enemy, loves to take our sin and accuse us. To say, look how guilty you are. Look how unworthy you are. How dare you think that you're part of God's plan? How dare you think that you are loved? When we sin, we can fall into despair. Look, when we fall back into bad habits or, or find ourselves back in addictions or when we give ourselves over to rebellion, when we turn our backs against the light and walk in darkness, the enemy loves to hurl accusations against us. And that will kick us out of the mission unless, unless we know in our hearts that Jesus sustains us. Because not only does he stand before the Father and say, although the world has rejected him, he is mine. He stands before him and says, although he feels guilty, he is innocent. Although he feels shame, he is pure. Although they feel lost, they are found. Although she feels lonely, she is welcomed in. When we fail the mission, Jesus sustains us. He says, their guilt was on my shoulders and now it's gone. Their shame was on my shoulders and now it's gone. They were cast out, but in me they have been brought near we need to know that jesus sustains us in the mission otherwise we will fall off yes jesus did come to die he came to die so that we might live and live in his mission Friends, the mission is clear. He has called us to go and expand the kingdom of God, to move towards the darkness, to place ourselves into the lives of peoples who are fallen apart. And he has sent his spirit to always be with us, to always remind us of the truth, to empower us as we go. And friends, Jesus is on the throne. He sustains us every day, he defends our cause. He fights for us. And he reminds us that in him, we are his. Always and forever. The last question is, are you on mission too? Let's pray. Lord God, you, you loved the world that you sent your only son so that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. And Lord, now, because you love our neighbors, you have sent your church 
so that whoever believes in the testimony that we share about your son may not perish but have eternal life. Lord, send us out. Empower us through your spirit and remind us that you hold us up through it all. We are yours forever. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.